and welcome to this week's episode of a Center Trail podcast. I'm Tara. I'm John. And we're really happy to be with you today. And we have a third person in our room. <laughs> it's so exciting. In uh, our podcast studio, you mean? In our podcast studio, which is <laughs> my office. <laughs> um, and it, it's really exciting. We've been um, looking forward to to introducing you to our Center Trail intern for the semester, Peyton Howard. Um, and she's already started blogging for us, and so I'm going to have her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what year she's in and about some of the blog posts that she's done so far. Yeah, so my name is Peyton Howard, and I'm a junior history major at Center. And um, so far, I've written a lot about U.S. history, primarily, which is my favorite region to study. So I've talked about JFK conspiracies, um, about like arts and culture in the United States, particularly in Seattle. And then also in this semester, I'll do it more. I'm talking about what it's like to be a center history student, um, writing the research papers, keeping up with the readings and just kind of the experience from the perspective of a student. Yeah, and uh, I just read the JFK blog this morning and it was a lot of fun. And so if you've ever thought about how we talk about JFK, and the way that we tell his narrative. And if you haven't, you should. Um, but you should check it out. Uh, because one of the things she talks about is this huge volume of documents that has been recently declassified and, and what it has to tell us or not tell us, right? Right, exactly. And I've always been really interested in keeping up with it. and that, But I've never really thought about like problematizing that. Like why focusing on his death is, is good in some ways, but not in other ways. Mm -hmm. And so hearing it was his grandson wrote an article, I think it was for time.com, um, where he talked about kind of a critique of society. The fact that we're so focused on like how he died instead of like the causes that he championed while he was in office. And so that kind of made me think about it differently. Um, and so I still think it can be interesting to study his assassination, but like how much weight are we putting on that instead of other issues mm -hmm. and what that says about us I think it's really interesting yeah it's interesting the way if you look at like late 20th late 20th century U.S. history and how it translates into kind of global history and the things that people know about everyone knows about Kennedy's assassination mm -hmm. everyone knows about Nixon's resignation yeah. slash impeachment that didn't actually happen everyone thinks he was impeached and then um, <laughs> and then your mileage varies yeah. after Reagan so it's just kind of interesting that way too mm -hmm. it's just naturally um, sensational moment in, in the truest sense of the word not obviously not in a positive sense of the word right yeah so that's kind of interesting to me I was just thinking about it now but like the New Deal isn't like a thing in Europe people don't really know about that or think about it in like a pop culture way because mm -hmm. we have TVs and things right. but there's this thing of Kennedy as this big TV moment right yeah yeah so uh, you should check it out we're excited. She's going to be blogging for us all semester, and she's going to ask some other people to blog for us, and she's also learning the finer points, or at least the biggest points of podcasting technology. Yes. Um, from from experts in the field. <laughs> history, history professors. The best people to learn podcasting from. <laughs> um, but we're really excited about this opportunity. We're thrilled to have Peyton with us here in the fall, and hopefully this is something we can continue um, in with other students in the spring and um, in coming years. So we think this is a great way for students to get some hands-on experience, to learn especially about how to write for public audiences and to talk for pub public audiences. And we're excited to see what new things we yes, develop. We are. And on that topic of center students mm -hmm. and their audiences too, we could talk about this too. Mm -hmm. Tara, you have 
a very cool topic to share with us today, especially if anyone's listening with a center connection. You recently gave a faculty hour talk on, uh, we have this Friday faculty hour where faculty get together and uh, have snacks and listen to a colleague discuss a topic. And you had a you had a real you had a really good one, Taurus. <laughs> well, thank you. I had one. <laughs> I think we can all we can like decide later whether it was good or not. Um, I did. So this summer, when I was doing research for a book that I am theoretically writing, <laughs> um, I had a little bit of extra time, and I had been looking for references to Christmas in Kentucky in the 19th century, and I came across a document that said it was a from 1854 and it was a parody of the center college catalog and i thought that's weird i wonder what that is uh and so i requested it from the archives and they brought it out to me and sure enough it was a 54 page student written joke 54 pages of joke which is a lot of joke um (laughs) and i think it's a really fascinating glimpse into student life um, and center life in general. And as since we're approaching our bicentennial in just a couple more months, this is a nice time to sort of stop and think about Mm -hmm. what it meant to be a center student um, in our 200 years. So I will try not to just like lecture (laughs) at the microphone, but I will just kind of start off by saying, so the center college catalog was an important thing in a world before websites um, like two, three years before the internet, I think. Yeah. 1854. <laughs> Just yeah. before the internet was invented. Um, the catalogs were one way for advertising about your school because here's a short, it's about 18 pages, um, pamphlet. Those are relatively cheap to print that could tell you about the board of trustees and the faculty and what, what the student body and alumni were doing and what the course of study was. Uh, and these were published and kind of sent throughout the United States to try and attract students. So to, for students to parody this means that they recognize it was important, but also perhaps not telling the whole truth as they saw it. <laughs> so and what center looked like in the 1850s? I mean, so for those who either really don't know the campus or not, we have this building we called Old Center. We call mm-hmm. Old Center today, which is basically was center for a while. Yeah. Right? So today we have uh, just under 1,450 students, which makes us very small by 21st century college standards but what a center looked like in the mid-19th century this is just before the american civil war right yes this is just before the civil war and center has been around since 1819 so it's been around for about 35 years and we're talking about um in every class of undergraduates which is a four-year degree um you have about 30 students um so in total in this that four-year college experience you're talking about uh, about 12, uh, 120 students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a group of irregulars who don't attend as often or are working towards a, a master's degree or are, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's about 20 or so irregulars. So all told, you're getting close to 150 students. You have seven-ish faculty members, but several of those work in the prep school, which is kind of like the high school that's associated with with the college. Um, So you have, you know, like four dedicated faculty members just to the undergrads. Four. Four. Um, What's that ratio for the student-to-faculty ratio? I'm not sure they would score very well. Yeah. (laughs) And everybody took the same curriculum. So 
all first years had the same exact classes, and they sat in them together. This is why you could have uh, one professor to, uh-huh. to 30 students, because you would walk in, and they would lecture at you, or you were doing rote memorization, where you would kind of repeat things out loud to them. Um, this is not the small liberal arts college style of active engagement that we are talking <laughs> yeah. about today. <laughs> so they all know each other. Yeah. 120 students. They yes. all know each other. Because I feel like yeah. this obviously isn't true, but sometimes I'm staying at the top of center classroom thinking, so do they all know each other? What's the deal? Because sometimes it feels that way. Yeah. As long as you're teaching a class where everyone does actually know each other, like if they're all seniors, they all kind of, you all kind of seem to have figured yeah, each other out at that point. Yeah, some classes more so than others. Really? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, yeah, 120 people, they must yeah. know each other. They all know each other. And center was strange in that unlike most colleges at the time, center doesn't have dorms. Um, center, and this is a little bit of like, this is part of their pitch, um, at center, students didn't live in dorms where they would be encouraged to, you know, do ridiculous things with one another, like Mm -hmm. stay up too late drinking or, um, not go to church or steal horses. Um, instead, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, common concern in the 1850s. (laughs) 1850s parents. We'll, we'll get to the turkey stealing. In a <laughs> Instead, they boarded in the city or in the country with families. And this was seen as being more moral uh, because you were going to be with families. Um, it was seen as being cheaper. Um, and this was Center's biggest claim. Um, hmm. Center was working really hard to keep prices low hmm. so that they could attract students who might not otherwise be able to afford college. Uh, and so their, their tuition had been flat for 24 years. It had been $30, um, a term, uh, <laughs> Peyton's Peyton, nice. it's a good thing Peyton's sitting down already. <laughs> um, so their, their tuition had been, uh, $30 a term and they were doing this boarding thing. So instead of paying for a dormitory fee, which could be, you know, quite expensive, they were boarding in the city and the country between for a relatively low, like a dollar fifty to two fifty a week. Mm-hmm. And this would include their food and their housing, um, and was seen as being more moral. So um there wasn't very much campus. There's Old Center and there was a few other places that students could be on campus, but for the most part there there wasn't much here. Hmm. No. Fascinating. So they had to entertain themselves, I guess, is what you're saying. Or Right. Yes. And, they, and they document this at length. This is your whole... Yes. <laughs> so this is a big part of humor, right? Humor, um, and in my talk, I kind of go into this um, with the faculty. Humor is really hard to read as a historian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, think about it. Think about what you find funny and how hard it would be to understand why that was funny if you didn't get all the pop culture references mm-hmm. or um, if you didn't, you know, weren't living with the person and had these kind of long-standing funny things that everybody mm-hmm. has. So humor is really hard to read, but one of the things we can see in it is how students like to spend their time. So I will ask you guys, what do you think were rules for center students in 1854? No horseplay? Are they too old for that kind of a rule? Well, there is in fact a rule that they're not allowed to bring pistols, sword canes, or swords onto campus. So I was aiming low with horseplay. (laughs) Clearly. But I imagine them saying something like, no horseplay. Like, stapled to the wall or something. (laughs) That would get you in trouble because you could also get in trouble for defacing the, the walls of the building or drawing on them in any way. That was wow. that was a finable offense. 
That's fair, I suppose. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of ye old habits, like old with an E on the end. Um, <laughs> what, were, what were the tobacco products that were popular at that time in Kentucky? Well, the, they really liked to chew tobacco. Uh-huh, and so okay. one of the big jokes throughout this document is that they often talk about um, squirinating, about spitting tobacco out of the corners of their mouth, um, which is... <laughs> Tara's so... making a gesture with her thumbs, which which when you said squirinating makes sense. I, I, are they squirting at the corner of their mouths? What are they doing? Yes. Okay. So this was a thing to do. And the way to think about this is that um, in the election of 1840, the presidential election of 1840, uh, it was uh, William Henry Harrison versus Martin Van Buren. And William Henry, Her- William Henry Harrison was very tall and Martin Van Buren was shorter. And um, often Harrison would call him little squirt. Um, and the, not to be outdone, then the Van Buren dudes, um, would, and also Harrisonites, they would talk about squirt, squirt and wort, wort, um, which was supposed to sound like you literally, yeah, out of the corner of your mouth, like spitting tobacco out. It's disgusting. (laughs) So gross. But center men seemed to really enjoy it. And so they were not supposed to chew tobacco or smoke, um, in buildings, but they clearly were not paying attention to this because they were repeatedly talk about all the times that they're squirting tobacco out of their mouths or all the fines they pay um, and that they wish that they could just pay like an annual fee um, to cover all the damages from all the tobacco that they're squirting um, instead of just getting fined for like it. into the classroom buildings or just yes. outside? Oh, Isn't that disgusting? <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> and maybe my single favorite part of this document is that by the time that they were seniors, so um, in the real catalog, you know, in your first year you read like, Greek and Roman antiquities and you do some math and they kind of go through all this. Um, the designer students are having none of it. And th- when they do their fake course of study, um, they say things like they start, you know, we start to get sick constantly. Um, or, you know, we put this entire algebra book, we had a funeral for it. Um, <laughs> and by the time they're seniors, they say that they're swearing profanely, which they are not supposed to do, um, that they are sick constantly, um, that they are constantly playing cards, which is another thing they're not allowed to do. All right. Um, and, but my favorite is that they say that they run around saying squirt, squirt, like, as, like, um, all off to the wars again for no reason that I can really come up with. <laughs> it's just a cool thing you say. Apparently. Oh, yeah. All off to the wars again. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you can just imagine a certain group of 20-year-old men thinking that that was the highlight of funniness. Yeah. <laughs> and us being like, what is that even? Yes. Um, but you get a really interesting sense of what it was like. They do. They know each other really well. Mm-hmm. They know their professors really well because professors get this Peyton. It could be so much worse. We could be like chasing you around town, pulling you out of bars because you're not supposed to be in them. And then <laughs> finding you. If we find you on the street, swearing <laughs> or out after dark oh my God. because it's the faculty's job to police their moral behavior, Wow, which is horrifying in a totally different yes, way. Yes, it is. There was it like 70 years ago or something. Some faculty were still living in dorms with students, yeah. like the master system. They still do it in Yale, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, that was very controversial a couple of years ago. Yeah. A historian passed mm-hmm. away a couple of years ago who was a very famous figure on campus and, and for a long time he lived, mm-hmm. he and his family lived on the ground floor, I think it was, mm-hmm. one of the dorm buildings, which I went home and told my wife and she was like, she just, the color drained from her face. <laughs> <laughs> we would never, that would never have happened. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. <laughs> what kind idea. of um I want to go back to the faculty in just a minute. Um 
what other options do these students have for education if Centre's trying to be cheap? I never kind of brought, I've never brought this up because we, at Centre here, you know, our bicentennial is um, next year, mm-hmm. 2019, and lots of colleges with kind of, I guess, larger profiles than us these days aren't as old as us. So, right. um, so how, how does, where, what, not just what our, not just what center students options were, I guess, but like, what's the landscape looking like in American education in the mid 1800s? So this is an important time for education and it's slowed down a little bit, but between the revolution and about 1840, you have a huge period of college building because mm. a, a Republican nation needs educated student, uh, educated citizens. So you need more and more people to have higher education. Um, and so you have lots and lots and lots of schools. And sometimes they are schools with dormitories um, like William and Mary or Yale or Harvard um, or Hamilton College in upstate New York or the University of Georgia, which was founded in 17, oh no, uh, 93, I think. Um, or University of Tennessee, these schools, they have dorms. They're designed to educate kind of a middle-ish class, upper class individual man, obviously. Um, but a lot of these are smaller. They're in some minister's backyard and they're mm. a uh, academy and they're, you know, seven students mm-hmm. in, in some kind of a room. Um, and a lot of these colleges, they may have had dorms and they may have had a number of students, but they don't exist anymore. Mm. Um, there's a lot of them, schools open and close all the time. Um, it's expensive. It's hard to make a school last. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the Civil War, you're going to see more and more schools that had been opened before the Civil War start to close their doors. Um, and so in in Kentucky, there are a number of options. Transy exists. Mm-hmm. Um, Center exists. And then there's a whole lot of schools that don't exist anymore, but that mm-hmm. were rivaling for um, the upper class like, like in this region because yeah. like because transy transylvania is in um is in lexington yeah which now is a hop skip and a jump away mm-hmm. 30 minutes away mm-hmm. in a car and then was i guess i don't know what about half a day's travel or something i'm not sure yeah depending on how you're doing it yeah fascinating yeah. i wanted to ask that but i do want to get back to the faculty so how about how do these uh how do these how do the august faculty show up in the parody catalog well it really depends so one of the faculty members is john c young who was also our president and he'd been the president since 1830 and he they put these boys put them put him on a pedestal they they their teasing of him is because they love him so much in a way mm-hmm. and so they make fun of him in this very grand way um the real catalog has a history center college and so the fake one has to have one too and they say things like um uh it they they essentially make him into a roman or greek god he is so amazing he's done so much for the history of this college <laughs> he's you know this grand august figure who's been around since before time itself <laughs> um so some of them come off very well mm-hmm. and then the newer faculty bless them do not <laughs> so one in particular that i like um his name was S.B. Barton, and he was only at Center for one year, and then um, he goes on to teach in other places. Um, and he must have only had one leg because they talk about it pretty constantly, or it had some sort of something going on. A limp or something, a limp, or something yeah. noticeable with his legs. Yeah, I mean, they talk about it a lot, and they call him one-legged Barton all the time, and they are merciless to him. <laughs> he must have also had a new, a new, a fairly new wife and a small baby um, because they were constantly talking about how he was the lecturer of. Um, of young married couples and babies, which personally I found 
quite offensive. <laughs> I can just really relate to this, though. It's like, yeah. Sounds like my first two to three years at Sector. <laughs> and they also accuse him later of um, basically falling asleep all the time at, at work. And again, I'm not saying I've ever done that, but... <laughs> <laughs> we can relate. <laughs> um, so it really depends. And they also... Another... Um, the the professor who was in charge of this prep school, this high school, was also a center grad, and he had just graduated a few years before mm -hmm. um, at, from undergrad and then was in charge of these high school students. And they seemed to have, the undergraduates still seemed to be having a lot of fun with him um, mm -hmm. because they talked about him all the time. Salvador de Soto, and they, they, were, they called him the chief turkey stealer. Because that's what they like to do, is go and steal turkeys <laughs> from their faculty. Oh my god. And the faculty had turkeys. That's the thing. You don't have a backyard full of turkeys? My father once tried that. That's the story for the day. We once, we once decided we'd rare three turkeys for Christmas, and it didn't, it didn't go well. Stop it. Yeah, I haven't told you that story. No, we will definitely come we'll, back we'll to this. We'll return to that, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier, you know, humor presents such a challenge, which of course it does for historians. But um, uh, a classic thing, of course, of primary sources is that the people who created the source are trying to do one thing, mm -hmm. right? So whether that's Urban the Second launching the Crusade, or uh, you know, uh, someone writing about it forty years later, or in this case, these guys are having fun and everything else. But you're obviously learning. We we learn things from the source that weren't they weren't being hidden. They just weren't the intention of the source's creation. Mm -hmm. And I always just think this is really interesting. I always find it interesting to talk about in classes. Is there like an example of that that is particularly illuminating here, or just because it? Because I mean, obviously, all primary sources are useful, but there's just so clearly an interest in this, a, like um, uh, a use for it, for lack of a better term, a value, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like the humor is in and of itself valuable. Yes. But like, but there's there's all kinds of ways historians can extrapolate this stuff. You know? Yeah, so one of the things they talk about um, is this boarding experience because it's a little bit unique in the college boy experience. Um, and so they have like a day in the life of a boarding house. And one of the things you can see is like what actual life in Danville for your average person who wasn't a center student would have been, which is a fascinating little glimpse. It's not something that they were intending to give to their readers because to them this is life. It's right. just boring how it from their perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for us as historians, it's like, Oh, so, you know, they describe these boarding houses, which were nice houses in town, depending on the price that they're paying. And they describe like sitting down to breakfast and you have like 10 scrawny college boys crowded at one end of the table <laughs> and like the dad and the mom and the daughter sitting at the other end having their breakfast as a family uh -huh. um, and the kind of food that they're eating. And, you know, the students are trying to be funny, like, aren't we so ridiculous these you know poor you know these poor boys sitting at the end of the table starving but from the historian's perspective it clearly is a thing for families to sit down to breakfast together right it clearly mm -hmm. was expected that there was going to be certain kinds of foods because they've described them mm -hmm. um and it was described that there's african-american servants or slaves who are waiting on them and that was mm -hmm. the expectation mm -hmm. um and so yeah you get lots of those really interesting viewpoints into real life yeah yeah yeah, fascinating. Alongside the, the, the tobacco squirting. <laughs> do they tobacco squirt in the homes? <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure they do, but that does not show up uh, in this. And that's one of the conclusions from this is the kind of humor that they're trying for is mm -hmm. this very overblown humor. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
they're talking constantly about drinking and swearing and playing cards, but the reality is clearly that they're doing that much less than they are pretending to. And that's, I think, one of the nice conclusions is that um, college students haven't changed. Their their (laughs) claims are still usually worse than what's actually happening. It's also, you know, I went to an all-boys secondary school. And this is what happens when men are put in a situation together with, like, just men. They act silly in ways that I think are very masculine, if that makes sense. Like, a group mm-hmm. kind of masculinity. But, like, but is that something that, like, how do I put this? Does does that, does, does the fact they're all men, does the kind of the masculine angle of that, is that something that you feel is kind of definitive in this particular source? Or is it just a, you know, because it, it doesn't have to be, right? Like, is, it, is this more... You just you talked about them as college students as opposed mm-hmm. to male college students, and those are obviously two different things. And each is fine. I'm just curious as to your take of. So there are schools increasingly that women can go to. There's female academies, and you have the beginnings of uh, women's colleges. Um, and in fact, in just a few years, there will be centers women from Danville who are mm-hmm. not associated with Center who'll be going to Vassar um, and places like that. Um, so there are women who are getting in- increasing education, but they're not having the stereotypical 1854 college experience and there is one Um, and the expectation is that those people going to college are boys and that's the word they use b-h-o-y-s which has Hmm. a whole lot of meaning at the time Um, and they are performing you're you're absolutely right these this parody is them in some ways performing the expectations of a college boy Mm -hmm. um, being wild and doing things they're not supposed to do and not studying at all and being seen as kind of lazy layabouts those Mm -hmm. are the stereotypes of an 1854 college boy Mm -hmm. so they are performing masculinity in this really really specific way Mm -hmm. um which is part of why they can't have pistols and sword canes on campus because (laughs) they would have just been challenging each other to duels all the time (laughs) (laughs) my secondary school didn't have that (laughs) yeah (laughs) No, I think it's just um, really interesting because the other question I wanted to ask you, and I asked you at the faculty, I'm going to ask you again, <laughs> is going to ask you about um, personal connection to like these people who are no longer gone. Because when I've uh, used sources similar to this, and it's different because this is one catalog, but you spent quite a bit of time with it, and I know you really, I know you really enjoyed this source, Tara. <laughs> um, but like I, I've read letters and things like that in for my current project of these these mostly young American priests living in China and stuff. And you feel like you get to know these people, even in some small way, and you feel kind of close to them in an interesting way. But I think there's an interesting extra layer. So I'm interested to know how much of that you did or didn't feel, but also extra layer that you are a professor in 2018 dealing with center students all the time. And Tara went to Worcester, which is a similar style college to center. Mm -hmm. I did not go to a similar (laughs) style to center. So when I first got here and they talk about relationships with your students, I thought it all sounded insane and crazy. Like that's, what, what What did you want me to do? (laughs) And I've been here a few years. It's like, okay, I get it. It is different. Like it's just a different vibe completely. And you do think about, you think about your relationships with your students in ways that I just was not doing at my last job. It's not better or worse. It's just the way we do things at center. Um, I actually do think it's better, but I mean, polite, it's not better work. <laughs> so I just, I just keep thinking this is interesting. I know I asked you with the faculty, but I'm just asking you again anyway for posterity as well. Those two levels of like, did you feel any kind of attachment to these guys or not or whatever? And then what's it like being a professor, seeing these silly, these silly, silly men <laughs> or boys really is what they really are. Yeah. Despite their age. Yes, they are in, in every sense of the way they're being thought about. They are boys. Right. Um. So, yeah. I did get really attached to them. And as I dug through this, again, 54 pages of printed (laughs) 
54 pages. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, that I got very attached to them, and you could sort of start to get a sense of which students were um, particularly gregarious. And, mm. um, and until about the last 10 pages, I just thought this was the most charming thing I'd ever read. Um, and there were, it's an 1854 document, so there were little comments here and there that were racist because mm-hmm. that, that's going to exist. Right. Um, and then the last eight or 10 pages were really bad. Mm. Um, and I, I was disheartened. I also recognized that they were trying on a particular style of writing. Um, they were they were trying a genre, um, and that genre encouraged um, the racism. But the racism mm. was also clearly just really prevalent in their culture, and they didn't right. see anything wrong really with what they were saying. Right. Um, even if it maybe wasn't what they would say in real life or do mm-hmm. in real life, writing it in this way was fine. And joking about it is fine. Yeah, yeah. according that, to them, that was jarring, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't want to have that kind of feeling for people who are writing terrible things. Um, but it, I am a historian, so I, I have to remind myself like this, they are products of their times and I don't mm-hmm. have to like that behavior and I can think it's awful and terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have to put it into context and, mm-hmm. and they, in the end, it is a mostly charming document. Um, mm-hmm. and in the end, these, these students actually come off very nice. Um, they come off as, funny and clearly they've learned a lot from their education and they've enjoyed their education. They make the nerdiest jokes you've ever heard. (laughs) Um, and, and they've clearly come away with a different understanding than they entered college. And so on that way, I went back to finding them very charming. And similarly with, you know, as being a, a faculty member, I enjoy every day with my students today. I was having an especially good day and I thought, man, this is the best job. Um, I'm reading this reminded me, I mean, in the same way that these boys are performing a set of expectations, uh, we have those same things for our students. I mean, I might want them to behave a certain way, but our society encourages them in some ways to think of college differently. Um, increasingly, college is the the thing you need to do in order to have a good and productive life. And, and the class choices you make, um, in theory, or according to our society are going to decide mm-hmm. how successful you will be. Right. I personally don't think there's any proof for that. And most of my colleagues don't think there's any proof for that either. Right. Um, but there's, there's prevailing social expectations of yeah. certain majors. You yeah. Know. Like, you know, is a history major, I guess you're going to be a teacher. It's like, actually I'm statistically more likely to be a CEO, but okay. Right. Yeah. No. And in my family always asked that, you yeah. know, teach and, I did, but that wasn't the, <laughs> that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. But I think one of the things I walked away from was a, it, this is a really good reminder. People behave the way society expects them to behave very often, mm-hmm. and um, my expectations might be different than society's expectations, and they might just be saying that they're living up to society's expectations, um, but not not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a good reminder as a faculty member. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I have clearly dominated the conversation today. <laughs> I think that's okay. I think that uh, before we say goodbye, we should. You, you don't have to score an ad, but you do have to say it one more time. We're we're off. Oh, off to the wars again. There we go. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, thank you for joining me to talk about center students in 1854. This is probably not going to be the last time I talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to Peyton for joining yes. us. Thank you, Peyton. Of course. <laughs>
and we will see you next week. Thank you.